Yeah, thank you, Mom. Hey, can we on every single campus, I know we already had applause in this Anderson room. You didn't hear that at every campus. Can we stand to our feet and honor moms with a clap of the hand and a standing ovation this morning at church? Come on, let's thank the Lord for Mom. What a gift. Yeah. Moms that are out there, grandmoms that are out there, moms that are in heaven with Jesus, we love you, we are grateful for you, we bless the Lord for you, and then I get to turn in this auditorium and say, Mama, love you, it's good to see you today. Hey, why don't you grab a seat, church family? Um, I want to celebrate with you a couple of things uh, before we jump into the text today, obviously want to celebrate moms, and uh, you should, you should uh, do something special for mom today or this week. Uh, I get the privilege of going home today, and my wife and both of our moms are all going to be at the house, and we're having barbecue today after church, and I'm not mad about that. And so we're excited. Uh, mom, we love you, and we're pumped about you. A couple of things. This week, if you're a part of the Need to Know email, you would have seen this already, but we, church got to close on a piece of property as a church in Aiken, South Carolina. And we want to celebrate that with you. So Aiken Campus, we're pumped, we're excited what God's doing in Aiken, South Carolina. And, uh, and we're with you and we want to celebrate that with you. Also, I uh, want to celebrate something with you. Uh, I want to celebrate with you that this week we had all of our staff together. Four times a year we bring in all of our staff from all 14 campuses and we get in the same space for some leadership and some encouragement, and it's a really, really awesome time. We have a, a beautiful staff. But this week, we had the privilege of celebrating something that is so rare, and that is today, on Mother's Day, 50 years ago, was the first day in vocational ministry for one of our pastors over at our Greenville campus. His name is Dr. Jim Goodrow, and today, 50 years later, is his last official day on staff, and we want to honor the heck out of Dr. Jim Goodrow. New Spring Church, will you put your hands together? 50 years of faithful ministry served. We love you, Dr. Jim. If you're at the Greenville campus, you got to go give that man a hug. He and Miss Nancy, so incredible. And in a day and age, you wonder if there are people that are running the race well. We are privileged to have a 50-year in ministry staff member, and today's his last day. And, uh, man, I'm encouraged by that. One last thing I want to do in celebrating, and uh, I actually ran into several parents out here in the atrium at the Anderson campus, but we have a lot of folks that are coming and surprising mom for Mother's Day. And right here in front of me, we've got a, a military uh, deployed, came home, surprised mom from West Africa and showed up right here at the Anderson campus. So for all the folks that are surprising mom today on Mother's Day, well done. Uh, so grateful for that. It's a very cool thing. Now, if you're ready for some Bible, say, I'm ready. All right, we are in the book of Romans chapter 8. So if you've got a hard text, I want to go ahead and invite you to open it up. Romans chapter 8. If you want to open up your app, we'll have all of the notes there preloaded for you. Or if you're getting there digitally, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today. If you're a guest with us, or maybe you're just joining us and you want to know what New Spring Church is all about, well, we have one vision in New Spring Church, and that's to see everyone everywhere in an everyday relationship with God. We recognize that uh, that's what we were created for. We recognize that that's what the enemy has come after. And when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and, and offered us victory, he offers us an everyday relationship. And we want that for you. That's what our church is about. And uh, one of those truths about an everyday relationship is that God has so many promises on offer and so many of them are in Romans chapter 8. This series we've titled, and it's on the screen behind me, it's, this series is titled Marked by Victory. 
Because there's so many things that Jesus in Christ that he wants to mark us with. And we started this journey of Romans chapter 8 on Easter Sunday just a few weeks ago. I had the privilege to preach a message on verse 1 to 4. And that very first verse of Romans chapter 8 is a real famous one. It says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. That's good news. Amen? There's no condemnation. If you're in Christ, God doesn't condemn you. He actually has exchanged your condemnation and mine, earned by our sin, for his liberation. Condemnation for liberation. He's given us his freedom in his victory. And then the entire chapter of Romans 8 is just filled. It's like looking at a mountain range of incredible, victorious promises. No condemnation at the beginning. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about no separation from the love of God. And, and then right here today, my, my task is to lift out one of these other pinnacle mountains, if you will, of this mountain range is Romans 8.28. And in Romans 8.28, you might even know this passage. Uh, it says this, Romans 8.28, Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things, church say all things, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So if you, if you want to write something down, I want you to write down that God's working. I want you to tap your neighbor and say, God's working. I had to remind myself of that this week. Uh, my wife was in the first service, and, you know, last week was a fantastic message, was it not? Pastor Caleb White did a fantastic job. We finished in this place of Abba, our Father. That's in the verses right before this, and it was great. I was sitting right down here on the front row, and I got got last week. I was unwell, ugly crying, everything right here in church, y'all. Go home with my family. It was a great Sunday. Get up on Monday morning, and uh, I'm about to leave for work. My Mondays start early. Uh, I get up and go to the gym and have a quiet time, and then I get dressed for work. I take my, my girls to school. But right before I'm getting ready to leave, I'm sitting on the couch in our living room, and I'm trying to hug all the kids and kiss them before I leave. And right about the time I'm about to walk out the door, my son comes in and declares to the family, Mama, Daddy, there's poop on the couch. There's poop on the couch. Well, I'm sitting on the couch, son. Where, where's the poop? I don't see the poop on the couch. And then we, we would you, are you, is he trying to be funny because he's getting a sense of humor? He's almost three now. So is he just trying to be funny or is there literal poop on the couch? You know, these are the questions you're asking with the toddler in the house. And, uh, and then he's, I put my hands in my diaper and there's poop on the couch. And I looked at my wife and I said, well, God bless you. I got to go to work. And... Um, Sure enough, not on the couch in the living room, but on the couch in my office, there was some poop on the couch, guys. Poop on the couch. Mamas, you know about the poop on the couch? And all the other things that are in the midst of being a mama, being a daddy, and raising kids. And we got to remember right there in that moment that God is working. He's working through the poop on the couch. All things for the good. Amen? Of those that are called according to his purpose. And, uh, and yep, there was some poop on the couch, and my wife unbelievably well, gets the, the house in order, and I go off to work, and then Tuesday happens at our house. Tuesday happens at our house, and our middle child had surgery. She's been going to the ENT for some time now, and they've been keeping an eye on her tonsils because she's got gigantic tonsils. She's a little bitty girl, huge tonsils, snores like a grown man. Got to say this before she's in this room. That would be so embarrassing. She's six. She snores louder than I snore, all right, louder than you snore. But not only does she have huge tonsils, adenoids, but she's, she's not hearing fully. And all of this kind of built up to a place where on Tuesday, she had surgery. And it went incredibly well. 
and she's in recovery mode. But every single night since Tuesday, um, in the midst of all the pain and not eating, she has woken up scream crying. And this is my tough child. Y'all know the tough child? You might be a tough child. You might have a tough child. This is my tough child. She's not dramatic. She's not high maintenance. She's tough. And at 12.30, 2 a.m., 3.15, all week since this moment, she's screaming, crying. Last night, she's in our bedroom at 12.45 and shrill scream. Mom jumps out of bed and mom is just incredible in the midst of all of the hardship of this. We know that there is a future, listen to me, a future for her without tonsils that's going to be more helpful, more awesome. She's going to be able to breathe. She's not going to have strep throat like she's been having. She's going to be able to hear better. All of these things are in the future. And in the middle of this moment, though, we're in, we're in pain. That's what the text is we're reading about today. And actually, Paul uses an image in this text we're about to read about that, I, I mean, it's wild that we're here on Mother's Day. We picked out this this um, series and began it, and we didn't know which one was going to fall on Mother's Day, but the text today actually speaks to childbirth. And so one of the things that every mama in the room that has had a child knows is there are pains that are related to childbirth. Amen, ladies? Amen? But one of the things that Paul talks about in this text is that those pains of childbirth, they, they, they go away in the light of a child. And yet, yes, there are a momentary pain, but when you compare the momentary pain to the lifetime of laughter and relationship and all the things you get with a family, those, those childbearing pains go away. That's what Paul is going to write about here, but he's going to apply it to the Christian life. And so I'm excited about this text because I think it, it, it meets us right where we are. One of the beautiful things about the gospel, I want you to write this phrase down. One of the beautiful things about the gospel is that the gospel meets the demands of reality. I'm going to say it again. The gospel meets the demands of reality. It's one of the reasons that the gospel of Jesus Christ stands out up and against every other religion in the world because it meets the demands of life. We just sang the song Son of Suffering, and Son of Suffering talks about the fact that Jesus bled, Jesus wept. The only religion that has a God Weeping and bleeding and suffering is the Christian faith. It's one of the greatest apologetics of why you can trust Jesus is because he has suffered. And one of the reasons that I'm excited to preach this too is because we're not just talking about Jesus, which is the ultimate, but we're getting this from Paul. And Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church, and as you guys have heard, the Roman church, when they received this letter, was just months away, maybe even days away, from some unbelievable suffering that would be extended to them in the persecution of Christians under the leadership of Nero. And so this meets the demands not just of where we are today in 2022. This met the demands 2,000 years ago when these Christians would just days away be blamed for the fire that burned, burned Rome, would, would be persecuted, dragged in the streets by chariots, thrown into the arena to fight lions and bears, or literally hung up on crosses and used as human torches to light the streets of Rome before electricity. These were all the realities of the Christian church 2,000 years ago. And so I want us to see that whatever suffering we're walking through, whatever trial we have right now or in the future, the gospel meets the demands of the suffering. Now, 
that sounds like fantastic news, doesn't it? It's like, man, I, thanks for coming to church on Mother's Day. You're going to preach about suffering. Well, here's the reality. I want to make sure you catch this. Paul seats this text in the midst of this mountain range of promises of victory. And the whole text, you go read Romans 8 from the beginning to the end. The whole text is all of these beautiful promises that then lend themselves to us stepping into suffering and not avoiding it. See, God doesn't want you and I to just follow the path of least resistance. He doesn't want us to be led by comfort. He wants, to be, wants us to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to lead us into some beautiful things. But he's not going to lead us alone. He's going to show us how. He's going to show us, how do you do it, Paul? How do you do it, Christian? What's the approach? Don't just say there's suffering and leave me there. Show me how. And he's going to show you how in verses 18 through 28. So let's jump in and read the text, okay? Here's what God's Word says. Romans 8, 18, we'll read it through verse 28. Paul writes these words. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the glory. The glory that will be revealed in the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption, adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen, that's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with long suffering. 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us, praise God, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, the Spirit helps himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God and now we're here at the mountain again and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose so this passage is fantastic, but what, what I want us to see here is Paul is giving us what's called a, a vista view. Anybody like getting outside and, and love going on a hike or climbing a mountain or going to, anybody, anybody show hands? Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't know this until we actually ended up moving into a valley in the, in the home I grew up in, but I didn't know what a vista view was, but a vista view is literally a view from the valley up to the mountains. That's what's happening here. Paul is riding from the valley and he's writing about the view of the mountains, the vista view from the valley. And that all things are working together for the good, even when you're in the valley. It's, there's a hope in the valley. And he tells us how in the world are we supposed to navigate the suffering of life. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's not a word, it's actually a picture. It's, it's the image of some scales. And I want you to get this picture in your mind because it's the picture that Paul uh, uses right here when he talks about being marked by victory. He actually says in verse 18, I want you to consider and I want you to compare. Consider and compare. All right? And so on one side of the scale, he, he actually says 
that there is suffering. He acknowledges it, and he, he calls it light and momentary suffering. It might be the suffering of, of uh, you know, going through something at work, or the suffering of something in your home, or the suffering of just, you know, getting older and your back hurts, or you've got rheumatoid arthritis, or it might be the suffering of some kind of sickness or disease. There's suffering on one side, but then on the other side of the scale, he actually says that, that there is a revealed glory. And uh, if you understand a little bit of the, the word here, the Hebrew word for glory is the word kabod. Everybody say kabod. Kabod, it actually means weight, the weight of glory. And so he's, he's got a little play on words. Even though this is written in the Greek, he's, he's playing on words, this picture image that there is suffering in life, but there is glory in life, and that these two things, you've got to be able to take them, and you've got to be able to consider them. Now, I want to catch this before we go away from this screenshot right here. In your life and mine, as a Christ follower, you will only be able to endure the suffering you walk through up until the point that you can weigh God's glory heavier than the suffering you walk through. That's what Paul does. All right, I want you to catch this. Paul is not giving us hyperbole. He's not a marketer. He's not giving us spin. Paul is a man who in other letters in the scriptures talks about being shipwrecked, being people trying to murder him, people trying to kill him with stones, people beating him, being out in the cold, out in the heat. He actually talks about all of the suffering he's walked through as a preacher and a pastor and an evangelist. And, and you're sitting down with him and you're going, well, how'd you do it, Paul? He's telling us right here. He's saying, well, my suffering that I've walked through in life, light and momentary when I consider the glory of what God's doing in the universe. That's, that's fantastic news, church. And, and what he's not doing, I want you to make sure you catch this, because there's people here today, and you walked in the doors, or you're listening online, and you're going through some stuff. You're going through life. There's suffering in life. What he's not doing is minimizing the suffering. He's right-sizing it in comparison to the eternal glory of God. He's not minimizing what we go through. Instead, he's saying, I've gone through so much myself, and in light of all that I've gone through, when I consider everything that God has done, the way that I walk through the day in and day out suffering of being a minister, being a Christ follower in a pagan world where people want to kill you, is I do this every day. I weigh it up and against all the promises of God, and I can do it. I can make it. I can navigate it. And again, we just mentioned this, but he's writing this 2,000 years ago to a church that's about to go through unbelievable persecution in Rome. And he's writing it to us 2,000 years later to Christians across the world that are going through all kinds of things in life. And he's saying the way you're going to do it, the way you're going to be marked by victory is you're going to understand that God is working in everything. But you're going to have to go through the process of weighing your light and momentary suffering up and against God's glory. Now, one of the pictures that he talks about in here and that was talked about last week is this picture of adoption. One of the mentalities that you've got to understand is that in Christ, you're the child of God. Nothing that we've done deserves that, but in Christ, we get the chance to be called children of God. He calls us sons of God and children of God all through this passage. So let me just remind you what adoption meant 2,000 years ago when he wrote this to Rome. One of the things that you need to know is that the same... Um, uh, application of these principles applies to us today. So there's four things that I want you to write down that adoption meant in Rome that I think we can apply today. First thing, when it comes to historical adoption in Rome, the first thing is that when you got adopted in the Roman day, any old debts and legal obligations that you had, they were immediately paid in full. 
Now, let me ask a question. This is not rhetorical. Who in the room today has a mortgage? Me too. I got one of those. Well, it could be paid off right here. Just let God adopt you, right? Um, no, just all old debts. Anybody got a car payment? Anybody got some student loans? Anybody, got, anybody owe anybody anything? Well, when you were adopted in Rome, that meant that your adoptive father paid all your old debts off. Gone. They're gone. But not only that, point number two, is not only were your old debts paid, but you receive a new name and you're instantly an heir to all your adoptive father possessed. That's good news. Pastor Lee talked about this actually two weeks ago. He said, not only did God say there's therefore now no condemnation, all your debts are paid, but in addition to that, you have access to God's bank account and God is wealthy. Amen? So this was true in Rome. You receive a new name and you are instantly an heir to all that your adoptive father possessed. The Roman people would have understood this context because they saw adoption all the time there. Number three, and this one is super cool. Not only did you have those first two, but number three is your adoptive father became instantly liable for all your future actions, i.e. future debts that you accrued or crimes you committed. So if you got adopted in Rome, then your adoptive father was liable for anything that you did in the future. Now take and apply this to the Christian life. This is unbelievably good news. That means that when you are a child of God, when you by faith trust Jesus Christ and you're welcomed into the family of God, God doesn't just forgive the sins that we did yesterday or last year or a decade ago. Look at me. He forgives all your future sins too. The ones you haven't even thought about committing yet, already under the blood. That your adoptive father is already made away and taken care of that. Is that good news to anybody at 1115 service today? That's fantastic news. So what does that mean? Well, I want to chase a bit of a rabbit right here because this is something I think bothers people. So one of the things that's been, you can't find Bible for this, that's been inappropriately taught, okay, been inappropriately taught, is that there's this unforgivable sin. The, the sin is the, the sin of suicide, unforgivable sin. And that if anybody commits suicide, then they, they don't go to heaven, they go to hell. That's, that's not in the Bible anywhere. One of the realities that I want to put before you is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and you put your trust in him, he forgives every single sin, even the ones you'll commit in your future. And if you have anybody you know that you're wondering or not where they are today, they were a Christian, but they, you need to understand that God's powerful blood reaches into the future and that we all have more grace for us in our future than we have for us in our past. That is unbelievable good news. Now, I want to pair that with this truth. Paul also writes very candidly that to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. And so what that isn't is a, is a man, just a permission to go and hurt yourself. But what it is, if, you are, if you're someone who's struggling with a loved one that you know that has walked through that, you need to know that the power of Jesus Christ's resurrection, it reaches not just into the past and forgives us, it reaches into the future as well. And fighting to live is Christ. And so God gives us this truth to gird us up as we walk through valley seasons in life. That's the third thing I want to make sure you get. So number one, again, your old debts paid. Number two, you get a new name and you get everything. You're a co-heir. Number three, anything you do in the future, your father's going to take care of. And so that leads us to number four. The fourth thing is the adoptive son had new obligations to honor and please the adoptive father. With, take a picture of this. With all of those benefits coming to adoptive kids, you naturally, everything in you changes and you start to live for that adoptive father's um, vision and heart and, and what he's trying to accomplish in the earth. And the same is true for you and for me. In Christ, 
we do the same. We, we want to live and honor our adopted Father God. And this is the theme throughout all of Romans 8 that we are called children. Now, I mentioned that in Rome... This was all to sons. One of the things that Paul does here that we can miss, and you're wondering about, well, what about the ladies? Well, in Rome, in Roman culture, only men were adopted. And because you'd have a, a wealthy man and to um, pass down his wealth or to take care of it, he didn't adopt a child, a baby. He would adopt uh, an adolescent son, like 13, 14, 15 years of age, somebody that had shown their pedigree to be the kind of standard that that man would want to leave his inheritance to. And so that's the context of Rome. But one of the things that Paul does beautifully is he doesn't just talk about the sons of God. He actually opens it up and he says the children of God. And he includes not just men but women too in this passage. This would have been very quickly picked up on by the Roman church of like, wow, unlike Rome where only men can be adopted, the God of the universe adopts sons and daughters, and he pays for all of our debt. He gives us all of his wealth, and he pays for all of our future obligations. So men and women still to this day, we live in a space where we go, I now have an ability to compare this future glory that God is weighing up in my mind against the slight and momentary suffering that I navigate in my every single day life. Now, here's the deal. i, I got to ask a question on all of our campuses. Did anybody grow up watching Winnie the Pooh? Anybody grow up watching Winnie the Pooh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys remember Winnie the Pooh? Y'all remember Tigger, my favorite character. Tigger, what, what, what did Tigger like to do, right? He's always, his personality is boop, ba doop doo doop He's bouncing. I'm not dancing, I'm bouncing. Okay, all right. And he's bouncing around, and his Tigger's just smiling, and he's happy, and he's just, but, but then there was this other character at the same time that was the complete opposite of Tigger. Y'all remember his name? Eeyore, Eeyore. And what, what was Eeyore doing? He's like, don't you know, where's my tail? Hey, Pooh. Hey, Tigger. Hey, Piglet. No, there's a rain cloud over my head everywhere I go. Right? Two characters. Two characters. All right, that's my best impersonation of them both. Here's the deal. In many, in many ways, one of the things I love about this passage is we don't have to decide if we're going to take the posture of Tigger or the posture of Winnie the Pooh. But Paul writes in here and he says both of these things are happening at the same time in the creation. Um, he, he says that because there's sin in the world... That the creation, not only personally, individually, in terms of humanity, but that creation itself is moving from sin to death to ultimate destruction. If you guys want to do this with me, you can. It's a, it, we're, we're, we're doing going down, 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 down. This is what's happening because of sin. Sin and death and destruction. Now the fun begins, okay? Now, simultaneously, while this is occurring, something else is happening. All right, come on. You wanted to do it the first time. Join me here. All right, simultaneously something else is happening. Because Jesus Christ got out of the grave on that very first Easter morning, there's another thing that's happening. There's hope in the earth, and that hope is growing, and that hope is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is the kingdom of God trending forever and all eternity. You all right? Did you see it? Now y'all stop. Some of y'all quit right here. You didn't want to try it anymore, okay? You're going to be trying this all week at your table at home. You remember? We used to do this in school. We used to do this, make a circle one way. Anyway, all right. Okay. All right. So two things are occurring at the same time. The earth, because of sin and destruction, is headed down the drain. You feel this in the earth. You feel things getting darker and darker and heavier and heavier. 
And simultaneously, I need to bring good news to you because Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us and he was the first fruits of many sons and daughters that are being revealed that we also are a part of a a trend line. There is a kingdom of God that is getting brighter and brighter and larger and larger. And there are millions over the last 2,000 years of brothers and sisters that are born into the family of God. And so these two realities are true right here in South Carolina today. Darker and darker and lighter and lighter. Now, here comes the question. I want to look at you in the eye. You're a part of these trends too. So I want to ask you, which one are you when it comes to your life and your trend? Are you a part of the world of the flesh, sin and destruction, that is trending darker, darker, darker? Or are you a son or a daughter of the king that in Christ you've been forgiven, there is therefore now no condemnation, you've been adopted in, all your debts have paid, past, present, and future, and so now you live as a son or daughter of the king, and your life and your world in the midst of suffering is getting bigger and brighter and more vibrant, and this is what's happening in the earth. This will help you navigate day in and day out life with your children or your family or your job or your college major or wherever you are. These things are true at the same time. And you're seeing these things, these realities, no clearer than when you see Jesus Christ on the cross. Both of these realities are happening at the same time. There was one group of people that thought, man, the world's getting darker and darker and darker. This is Jesus the Messiah. And I thought he was going to lead us out of the slavery of the Roman Empire, but now he's... He's being charged by Pontius Pilate, and he's being found guilty, and and now he's being crucified, and he's dying on the cross, and I thought things were getting better and better. But three days later, Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave, and he showed himself to all of his disciples, and he preached the good news, and he said, I'm going to send my spirit, the same one that got me out of the grave, and it's going to come and fill you up. And when it comes and fills you up, you're going to go and do greater things, and there's going to be a new kingdom that I'm going to be the king of, and you, my church, for thousands of years are going to go and share the good news all around the world. So, which one of these trend lines are you? Because you're trending this morning. You're trending. All right i got to teach you one more word, and I think it will help you build the vision. Uh, this, this word is the word parousia. Can everybody say parousia on three? One, two, three, parousia. One more time, it's fun. One, two, three, parousia. All right, this is another Bible word. Uh, it's also another Greek and Roman word. This word parousia meant the second coming. So anytime you read the word second coming in the New Testament, this is the word parousia. What would happen in in the time of Christ and before this in Greek and Roman culture is you would have uh, earthquakes, you would have natural disasters, you'd have fires, you'd have tidal waves, you'd have all kinds of things that would occur. And the governor would come in and they would tour the, the, the devastation. They would come and tour what had happened there. And when the governor came, they would see... The, the life loss, they would see the architecture loss, they would see what had burned or what had fallen down. And then the governor would give some of his wealth so that the people there in that city or that town would take his wealth and they would use it. Um, uh, this, this is kind of like what we do today when, when like our president comes and sees this is where the hurricane was or this is where the fire happened or this is what occurred and, and FEMA shows up and, and they, they release some funds, government funds, to come and help rebuild the tornadoes or whatever. The idea was parousia. And what would occur is that governor would leave money. That money was called talents. And that money called talents would be left to the community. And you would be responsible for building back better. That's a phrase, isn't it? 
building back better what, what had fallen down or what had burned. But there was the expectation of a parousia that went along with the resources. And the parousia, you're seeing where we're going now, meant that the governor wasn't just going to give you his resources. He was actually going to come back and visit your community two years later, three years later, five years later. All kinds of historical evidence that this occurred. And what would go on is when the governor came back again for the second time, you would, you would literally get to take him by the hand and, and you'd walk around your town and go, look, governor, you remember the... This, this entire arena fell down. It was devastated in the fire. But look, you left us your resources, and we built it back more beautiful. And we built it back larger, and we built it back so it could seat more people. And it's changed the whole community. And Governor, come here, come here. Remember over here, all, all of this street where the streets had fallen, and it was, it was completely destroyed by the tidal wave or the earthquake. Remember, we took the funds you gave us, and we built back our community. We built back our businesses. We built back our homes. And look what we did with what you left us. This is the idea of parousia. This is the idea of second coming. This is the idea 27 times in the New Testament that we are left with. And so church, Christ follower, Jesus Christ is coming back again. He's left us His Spirit. And with His Spirit, He's given us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's left us all the gifts. And He said, greater things are you going to do. You're going to do in my name than even I did. There's going to be a multitude of good things. And so what we've got to do is we consider the light and momentary suffering of whatever it is we're going through. And we don't choose the path of comfort or the path of least resistance. But instead we weigh that there is a trend happening in the earth. You're trending and so am I. And if you're a son or daughter of the king, not only are you trending, but the renewal of the new creation is connected to you and I walking out into who God has intended us to be, which is sons and daughters, bringing a new kingdom and a new creation right here in South Carolina and beyond. This is the picture we see in Romans 8, that simultaneously there is death and destruction because of sin, but because we have been born in Christ, if you have in fact been born in Christ, you not only are a newborn son or daughter, but you're a part of a newborn creation that is slowly more and more, sometimes faster, sometimes slower, getting brighter and brighter so that you and I live as a testimony to the world around us that sees it all going down the toilet bowl. That there's a kingdom that's not going to ever go down the toilet bowl. It's going to live forever. And King Jesus is ruling and reigning it. So, I need you not to just have a picture of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. I need you to have a picture in your mind and your heart of Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. He's died on the cross to pay for our sin and death, but he's ruling and reigning right now, and he will return, parousia. And, and you don't have to be fearful of that, but instead, make the most of every relationship, every career choice, what you're majoring in in college, how you're raising your family, how you're raising your grandkids, how you are choosing suffering in the day in and day out. Make the most of that because he's coming back, and you're going to get to show him what you have done with the things that he left you and I. Now, let me close with an image, one that will make it super practical. Um, how many of you guys love college sports? Any college sports fans out there? How many of you love college football? Where are my college football people, right? We're like in the middle of spring. It's a long way away, but we're getting closer. So um, there's something that happens in college football games. It's happened forever. In between the third quarter and the fourth quarter, there is a 
verbal cue that everybody does. I think they even do it in high school football too. Does anybody know what I'm talking about between the third quarter and the fourth quarter? I see it right back there. People start doing this one right here. And everybody knows what this means, right? Fourth quarter. We're here. And now, not only do they, do they show fours and everybody like locks eyes with each other, but now they've got these really cool hype videos that they rev up the crowd in the stadium with these between the third quarter and fourth quarter. And, and uh, my favorite one of these videos, actually a friend of mine, Coach Joey Batson, uh, is the o- old OG strength coach of the Clemson Tigers. And he's a man of God. He's so, so kind. I got to work with him when I was a FCA staff member years ago. But he has this line in their video. He says it. If you know it, you're going to remember it. He says, they don't put championship rings on smooth hands. Y'all know the line? It's that idea of no pain, no gain. There's, all of them have these images when you watch these fourth quarter videos of the, the football team sweating and running, uh, running gassers in the summer and lifting weights and working hard and suffering now for the glory that will be revealed later. And when you watch one of these videos, it gets you hyped. You're like, yeah, man, I, I don't play for the Clemson Tigers or I don't play for the Gamecocks or the Bulldogs or whoever your team is. I don't play for them, but I'm ready, you know. This is the same image that Paul gives us right here. Because Christian, I want you to know something. Jesus is proof. They don't put crowns on hands without holes. And you don't get a resurrection tomb without a cross that's bloody. And the same is true for you and me. The Bible says that in eternity we get to have crowns and we get to throw them at the feet of our Lord. And I want to encourage you, New Spring Church, that you're going to get to throw crowns before Jesus Christ. But you can't say yes to a life of comfort and expect to throw crowns. You're going to have to say yes to some God-ordained, God-willed sacrifice and suffering. And it's going to be worth it. Paul writes to the church in Rome and says, it's worth it. It's worth it. So whatever it is, however you're serving, however you're sacrificing, whatever you're going through, keep going. It's worth it. And mamas, you know this as good as anybody because you know the birth pains of having a baby are worth it once you're holding that newborn. It's worth it. It's worth it, church. And so we live in a moment in time where it's our turn to live this out. The gospel meets the demands of reality, and it's worth it. They don't put championship rings on smooth hands, and they don't give crowns to throw before Jesus on folks that live with comfort. So it's our turn to follow the example of our king and say yes to whatever he's called us to. I hope that encourages him. Would you stand to your feet on all of our campuses? Our worship teams are going to come, and we're going to sing a song that I think will, will end well today in this truth, that our King reigns above it all. Whatever it is you're going through, He reigns above it all. And as they come and lead us in song, uh, we're going to ask our ministry teams to come, and they'll be down front, and, and they want to pray for you. They want to encourage you. If you, need, if you need prayer to keep going, if you're going through some suffering and you need encouragement, or, or maybe you've got some healing in your body that you're dealing with and you need someone to pray over you, that's what they're here for. So please take advantage of this. But I want to ask you two questions while you're on your feet. You've heard the word today, but the questions are this. What's God saying to you, and what are you going to do with that? Don't, don't let comfort lead you. American church, don't let comfort lead you. Comfort doesn't necessarily mean that God is for you. The, right here, Romans 8 says that many times Christians will step into suffering on purpose, not because God's condemned them and not because God doesn't love them, but because you're walking in exactly what God's intended for you to do. So what's God saying to you and what are you going to do for, for it? Okay, I'm going to pray for us and then you respond. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word, valley hope. 
Thank you for giving us a view of your glorious promise that you're working all things. You're working right now. We might be aware of two things in our life that you're doing, but you're doing 10,000 things we can't even see. And so, Lord, would you show us and would you give us faith today to not walk by our eyeballs, but walk by faith as we trust that you're working all things for our good and that we can step into the hard things you've called us to do in life, knowing and believing that it's going to end with us being able to cast a crown at your feet, God, and knowing it's going to be worth it. And Lord, I pray right now a special prayer for moms. Moms that are doing things that they don't get enough applause for. Moms that have done things in the past and will do things in the future that only you see. And Lord, would you give them encouragement that it's worth it. Every small thing and every large thing they've done, it's worth it. And that you, Lord, led by example, you made a way and you proved to us that just like childbearing, child pains, it's worth it in the end. So encourage your church today as we sing the truth that you reign above it all, King Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand.